Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Damika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And like, what's the return policy for this year? Like, 90 days? Yeah, how long like, <laughs> do we have? Yeah. Does it have to be by the end of the year? The Is return? it? Do we have to keep the receipt? I have an e-receipt. <sighs> I have a strong policy of never giving my phone number or email. So, like, if I have to return something, it's like a nightmare. (laughs) But it's worth it because I don't need more spam in my life. Can I tell you, there's a whole, we talk about, like, energy vampires. There's also anxiety monsters. And there is an email anxiety monster that triggers me daily. Because I don't know, you get to a certain level of mail to where you can't deal with it you can't cope you can't deal it's not a good way to get a hold of me by my personal email (laughs) she's putting it out there now yeah i'm like to be fair i'm hard to get a hold of it (laughs) in any way uh but my personal email i've literally found emails like months later and then (gasps) felt so bad because i never saw it and it's really like when I'm doing my like biannual like cleanup of all the shit that I have unread, like the thousands of emails. I'm like, oh my god, someone sent me an email asking for a recommendation four months ago. Well, sorry. Oh my god. Like, goodness. please send send it to my work email. <laughs> I have so mm-hmm. many. I also have because I have multiple jobs. I have multiple emails, but I know when I sit down and check those emails, I'm in like the headspace to deal with those sorts of emails. Whereas like personal email is just like a shit storm of everything i feel like you really like dived in and exposed something very vulnerable like personally i'm very hard to get a hold of (laughs) professionally i'm there i'm on it i'm organized but personally good luck yeah no that's it's it's true it's very true i feel it's very like i'm like about how long do you feel like you've been your personal Lee hard to get a hold of. Like, I just want to like just can we just sit in that a little bit? It all started. I-, I love it. I'm so here for it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, end of the year. I think that's a good idea. I try, I kind of like you. I try to do a big push and then unsubscribe, unsubscribe. They don't listen. They don't care. No. They've already sold your email to like 10 other places. Like a piece of meat. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It's dumb. I hate it. (laughs) Well, things that we don't hate, we love crossing things off our list. We love finishing things off nice, neat and tidy and doing some clean in house. I know that gives us both all the touchy feelies. So, yeah. So before the year is done, I know nothing would make Danny happy to sneak in another little book, a little sprinkle for y'all to read. And we have one cheeky book review uh, that is so exciting. And it's going to be Kawaii Strong Wash. Burns first novel. So this was like out of the park. And that's going to be Sharks in the Time of Saviors. Yes, yes. This is a book that's been on my to read for a while. And so I'm glad that we picked it up and we were able to go through it. I think the pronunciation of his name is Kavai. Oh, mm. strong washborn. So he is a Hawaiian author. And this book is very place-based. While the whole mm. book doesn't take place in Hawaii, it is very much of of that spirit. And it's throughout 
the book. And we haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk about Hawaii yet. So uh, I'm really excited to to hear what you think and, and just chat about the experience. Because for anyone who is familiar with Hawaii, you know that the mixed race experience is strong there. Ooh, yes. And, you know, I think I've always jokingly, maybe borderline ignorantly, have always, if I could appropriate harmlessly from another culture, it would definitely be from the beautiful mixed. I mean, here's the thing. Painful, painful history. <laughs> Not unmuch like slavery, um, the history within Hawaii, but just gorgeous, gorgeous culture. And this book just emphasized that that love, admiration, the curiosity, the the depth of of the richness of their culture and tradition. And also it, it made me incredibly curious of how much more I still don't know, which is the joy of, f- of fiction in itself. So yes, very, very, very exciting. So yeah, if you have not read the book, we, we love when unicorns read the book along with us so much. So if you want to pause this and go read it and then jump in, because we can never guarantee that there will not be spoilers. <laughs> We're probably going to spoil a lot. Oh, just like so much. We just can't help it. Like it's really, it's, it's goes beyond what we can possibly help. So yeah, if you want to pause that, join us in our happy place and come back and read it. Or if you don't care, do with that what you will. Yes, yes. Like I said, this is his first book, which is shocking. When you read it, it is so mature and it is so beautiful. And I, I guess in my mind, who am I? Like, this is not something I I don't read the first time novels for, for writers out there. But I actually watched a little interview uh, with them. I think he's like, he does like software, like he designs and mm. does, like, this is like writing is like a side gig. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. I'm thinking about just how much beauty and you can tell like his love for for Hawaii and it just oozes from the pages and I know he's had some notable work um I know the New York Times and Boston Globe wanted to have like a note of being like hey you know the best book of the year over like massive amounts of publications he's had other work featured in different novellas it's just he's got an award for Minnesota Book Award uh, in 2021 I think President Obama named this as one of his favorite books yeah it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, well, I mean, he's got mad love for Kauai as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's from Hawaii. So, he's, yeah. you know, he's right there with him. Yeah. So it's so great when we see writers of color write mm. where they are from and it just be lifted mm-hmm. and be celebrated for right. representing where they are from unapologetically. Especially a place like Hawaii, because there mm. is like this romanticism and this idea of what it is, right? And he even addresses it in the book at some point, talking about, you know, the plastic lays and like these things and what people think Hawaii is like. And so I think to have a very authentic voice talk about the reality of what it is in such a beautiful way. This book is very, so in my mind, so I lived in Hawaii for a few years. I did my graduate degree there. And I think for me, I feel this very kindred spiritness between 
Hawaii and New Mexico, which is a very strange pairing. No, but no, it makes go, a lot of on. sense if, yeah. you like, if you dig down and think about it. And the the parallels always seem to come come back. And each has their very unique, specific culture. But I always felt like seen in a way and accepted in a way in Hawaii, where I haven't other places. And to, to see it in writing, like just like the first couple pages, like took me back there, like I wouldn't believe. And then just his use of language throughout is so beautiful. And the way he just like sprinkles in a lot of the ways people talk and the, the vocabulary and doesn't doesn't like do any sort of explanatory commas and just lets it be. And I, I was really curious to me how that was for you, because I was like, oh, I know all these words and I haven't thought about them. And it like brings me back. Right, like hearing, seeing Hanabara days and like Mauna and like Keiki and Aina and all these words that were like such a part of my day to day life for so long and that I don't say anymore. But I know they aren't common parlance in like the mainland. So I was Mm -hmm. curious how that was for you, Damika, just reading that. Well, you know, I've been very fortunate when you have led a military life, you get to meet people from all over. And I've been very fortunate enough to have people who were Hawaiian, Polynesian, and been able to have that. And so even just have that little bit of exposure a little bit to the language. And so hearing some of the words that the people I have known use, seeing it how it's written, it was like, oh, it was just, it took me back to those relationships. But some words I actually did have to look up because it, you needed to hear it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the actual book layout, but the book changes who necessarily who is the storyteller. And I thought did such a great job of incorporating the language as a unifying of a family because that's who it's about, but still individual voices in it mm. while still being true to the language. It was so beautifully woven. I did. It was a little tricky. You do have to do the effort to make sure that you are hearing it properly. So some words, not a problem. Some within a long bit of uh, dialogue, I did have to. And you do kind of like, okay, how to. But once you start learning it and getting into the rhythm, you just enjoy it so much more. And once again, it you can tell it oozes it and has that beautiful authenticity. And you feel like you're being allowed to be a part of something that's normally should only be shared within the culture and the people. Just like that little we talk about, these little windows. And it, it felt almost like such an honor. And I think mm-hmm. it brought the sanctity back to things like like the hula, the language, the lay. It really lifted back and brought sanctity to those things. And just being able to peek into that sanctity was such a joy. Absolute joy. Yeah, there is a lot. And I think you're right. The language is sort of a gateway into it about... The struggle with like culture and identity and history and ancestry and fate and what is expected from you from your family and from your people and how are you connected or disconnected. It's really lovely and it's done in a way that is very much of the magical realism realm. And so for me, that also felt like an an interesting connection. While magical realism isn't limited to Latin America by any means, like that's the first place my brain goes. I mean, I I like plenty of authors who aren't Chicano or Latino who employ magical realism, like Neil Gaiman, or there are plenty of authors who aren't. But to me, it's very like feels very much of my culture, magical realism. And to see it used 
here, like it made a lot of sense. Like it felt very connected to Hawaiian culture and just like the idea of like, what do the gods want? Like, what is my fate? What's around me? And it being like very intertwined with a very realism sort of writing was was really great. And I think for me, a beautiful book, and I wanted to give it more time to just like settle around me, but I I didn't have time. So I felt a little rushed. So I would like to revisit it and just like let it like engulf me a little more because I, I did feel myself getting like caught up in this world and this longing for Hawaii and wanting to be there. Mm, that is such, yes. It's so weird to long for a place, for me personally, yeah. I've longed for a place I'd never been to. How crazy is that? Like, that's the power of writing, of mm-hmm. when I finished the book, of just having this like, oh, like that heaviness. Like for me, I haven't been back home in, to Albuquerque in so long. And I'm like, oh, I know what it feels like to just want to get back yeah. to a place where it's so complicated, right? But it's yeah. one of the, even within the complication, that complication made more sense than whatever complications you have going on currently. So before we go, how would, what would be your Reader's Digest summary of the book? If, if you had to write the back cover? Yeah, gosh, it's a good question, because I feel like there's so much ground covered in this book. <laughs> but I would say the short version is there is a family in Hawaii, they are of kind of probably Filipino slash Hawaiian descent, and they are not well off and they're struggling. And when their younger son, Nainoa, is something amazing happens to him. He falls off off a ship and instead of being like ripped apart by these sharks, the sharks like swim with him and save him and scoop him up in his their mouths and take him to his mother. And so they realize there's something really special about Nainoa. And he has abilities and he has fate and like the whole future of the family seems tied up in this one child. And it follows follows the family and their struggles and their life even into the later years where Nainoa and his brother and sister have all kind of dispersed to the mainland and and what happens with with the family and how I guess bonds can be tested, both personal bonds and ancestral bonds. Mm. No, I think that's totally I mean, even like even spiritual bonds as well. Mm. I love that that testing and what does it mean to find place and even this this argument of destiny within a family dynamic and also how that also plays of the effect of like colonialism and, and connection to the land and to the past and right. And rejection, like the struggle of like rejecting that, but then accepting it and like how that changes over time or even like rejection in relationships within society. I didn't, I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about how much rejection also plays with, within these dynamics and the testings of these relationships as well. But not when we, we read Caucasia. You know, you, we talked about how you do not get a break in this book. Yeah. The break in this book is the beauty of the description of the language of the characters developing. But this book as well also has these like, oh, 
not the gut checks of some of the other books that we have, but it's definitely like, oh, like you just want this family. You want these characters to catch a break. Yes. Yes. That was kind of my reaction too. was this book is so sad. <laughs> like I was not <laughs> expecting it to be so sad, especially with this like beautiful, bright colored oh. cover. Mm-hmm. I was I was caught a little off guard about how tragic this book is. Mm-hmm. So forewarning, ha- have time to read this book. Because I think Danny and I both had that in common of trying to do school and work and read the book. I think this is a book, if you are so lucky to have some time off or vacation, you take it and you sit with it and you enjoy it and you get lost in it. But also be prepared that there are some, so there's some real heartbreak. It, it, yeah. there's, there is some real real heartbreak and like you're talking about that fantastical realism and I love that to me even that genre itself like what is fantastical to me like what right. does that even mean because it could this reality and this talking about the supernatural and the spirits like that is so real to other people so even playing with the idea of what is fiction and what isn't fiction you know of of the um the content amount is so interesting in this book oh I, I love I love that kind of like depth and th- that topic in literature of when we're talking about specifically other cultures of like, oh, yeah, it's science fiction. It's fantastic. I mean, but for some, this is this idea. These characters may indeed be fictional, but this idea is very real. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of real in there. Like Towie, uh, his younger sister, okay. she her whole story is super relatable, super realistic. And I've seen it. I've seen women from Hawaii follow that same journey where they leave, they go to the mainland, they go to school, ended up back in Hawaii farming, like finding that connection, that physical connection to the aina, to the land and to to their heritage and, and finding their place. And so but it does have like this whole idea of there's this this beautiful moment, this minor spoilers, well, I guess major spoilers, uh, towards the end of the book between her and her mother, where they are very, very connected to the spirits and to their heritage. And just this song comes out in the ukulele and, and she dances hula to it. And they've like had no plan of this happening. And it just happened. It was just like this connection. And it was a very spiritual awakening moment for both of them. And so I think while this book is very sad it, at times and is a lot of like you want that relief, like it's realistic in the sense that there is not a necessarily like a happy, neat ending, there are very beautiful and touching and happy moments throughout. Mm, the happiness is not even what you expect happiness to look like. Yeah. And I love that it challenges what that looks like very much. So do you do you have any highlights, lowlights that you kind of want to share? Do you think that's think that's too, too much? I mean, this is too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you have in mind? Uh, Just for me, I love the idea of when we talk about doing fiction literature in order to help people have that cultural compensation. Uh, We talk about 
you should always have documentaries, read, you know, scholarly articles, but using this as a window to help you kind of understand and have that entryway. They do such a great job. And I think a way to kind of bridge that gap of empathy, if you've never been to Hawaii, if you don't have any idea of like the history, the culture and the people, what they did well is play upon the family dynamics. And I think Mm. that was a highlight for me of this mother and father and their three kids, a boy, boy and a girl. And talking about your placement of like who was supposed to be and why they're supposed to be. Where's your place? So when Nainoa, the one where the, the the sharks have saved, he kind of kind of comes up and has a lot of the attention because of their placement, because of this this supernatural event that kind of off kilters the balance of the sibling connection a lot. And we have that played out a little bit and how that really impacts destiny, the relationship with their parents and ultimately their own identity is mm-hmm. really challenged by finding your place within your own immediate family. And I think that's something that we can all very much relate to. Yes. And along those lines, I think it highlights how different children, siblings can have a different experience growing up. And I know this is something that you and I have touched on a little bit on the show, but we both feel like we've had different experiences than our siblings growing up in the same family. Mm -hmm. And so I think this does a really great job of highlighting that. So yeah, that was kind of like my highlight of them daring to kind of question that even the difference between the connection between mother, father, and sibling between each singular sibling. Yes. Even they, they all grew up in the same, all struggling, all from the, you know, the same place. But yet, even when they're scattering, it's like they still can't get away of, from who they were and who they are, but very, yeah. very much had different experience. And it all, and you can tell that imprint because of how it impacted them as adults. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Dean, the oldest, and Cowie, the youngest, both had like almost mirror images of the same experience where they both just kind of assumed that the parents like favored the other two over themselves Mm -hmm. for different reasons. And they were all very good, especially those two in particular, at seeing each other's strengths, but not able to see their own. And so it's in many ways very heartbreaking because it's it's that feeling you get when you watch a movie or read a book where you're like, if people would just communicate with each other, if people would just talk to each other, everything would be better. But like, that's life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So the story, each chapter flips in between the mother and the children, which is so interesting. And the father. Oh, at at the end. Yeah. So... Also, like that. So I was craving Augie. I was craving his point of view. And I honestly, because I didn't want to cheat. I'm like, am I not going to get it at all? And I thought, oh, I've got to discuss this. And at the end, we, we finally hear his his words, his language, his voice. Girl. <laughs> girl. I absolutely love that flip and that shift, but you're constantly getting the story from this different viewpoint. And I had the same thing of just like, but they don't know that you should just tell them, but we should know how complicated family dynamics are and how how difficult it is. And just knowing that if if you all just kind of came back together, so many things would be solved. And it's just, it's not, it's never that easy. It's never that easy with family. So... 
And what I loved about this book, too, it's very much about the BIPOC experience and specifically the Hawaiian experience. But I think it's about that without being like it it is overtly about it, but it's never like we're telling you this story about these people. You know, like sometimes those sorts of stories feel very like they're hitting you over the head with it instead of just showing you it and and I felt like this this did a great job of just showing their cultural their racial experiences without hitting you over the head with it and you see you see a shifted tone as they go to the mainland because of being in a culture that's more removed from their own and then Also, people's expectations of them shifting because of that, because they're being othered. Whereas in Hawaii, they were othered, but for a different reason that wasn't tied up in their their racial identity. Mm, Ooh, that's so good. We there is a part in the book I don't feel is too major where uh, Dean he is incredibly gifted basketball wise. He's a great. He's the eldest. And there's a part where he goes to to college in in Spokane. Right. So, of course, yeah. we uh, he, he, he's surrounded. He is the <laughs> other. Right. Even though there's a good influx yeah. within that, it's still not the main culture. And he talks about how there was a Hawaiian night. Right. Yeah. At the school and the, the fake lays and the tacky Hawaiian shirts. But even through the tackiness and the, the fakeness, he still was able to have like this sense and reminder of where he was from. And it it helped him. It connected him a little bit, even if it was out of like spite of showing them what, what real Hawaii was like. And I thought that was so beautiful on how we really underestimate these things that ground us. And right. I think I've talked about that within, within Black culture is very difficult because American Black culture, we don't know necessarily where we come from. Some of us could have come from the Caribbean. Some of us could have come from Nigeria. Some could have come from Ghana. Like we just, we don't, a lot of us just don't have that where we know. And so we have Black people from Texas who are way different from Black people from Atlanta or Mississippi or from the Pacific Northwest. And I find that we have these a hard time finding unifying grounding things to kind of mm. ground us for where we are from. And I think that kind of is reflected within sometimes of things of like colorism and sexism that we find within our own community. And reading the book of how something is fake (laughs) as this fake Hawaiian night was still like these things that can kind of unify him even being further away from home I found myself like if I'm being completely honest just like slightly like jealous of that of like Mm. oh man like hearing that a little bit as once again that goes so much to the writing of how it how like you said of that showing of it of of that pride and how deep it runs it's like oh man I'm low-key a little jealous of that how bizarre is that I mean like I said that that's just good writing but I thought it was so beautifully once again shown not over the head it is interesting because you know racial dynamics are, are different in Hawaii than they are in the mainland and I think there is very much I don't want to say like a melting pot mentality, but but more of one than here. And there more acceptance, particularly within the mixing of like Hawaiian and Polynesian and various East Asian and Southeast Asian cultures in one place. And even, you know, Howley, like white people (laughs) mixing Mm -hmm. into that a little bit. And so to see their processing of being thrown into a more white dominant culture of the mainland is interesting because I think you even get that perspective that we don't really get in books. Whereas like oftentimes if it's a 
BIPOC story, there is this like, white people are this, like, you know, and I am this. And, and that wasn't how it felt. It was like, you know, a lot more like, I don't want to say gentle, but like woven in like things like the parents commenting, are you wearing your shoes in the house now? Like a howly or like, you know, my, my roommate smells like cheese or, like you know, these weird, these little things. And I, I think that perspective is nice. And even with Dean, I think it was Dean where people asked him what he was yeah. and like, he didn't know how to answer it because oh. it wasn't a question he really got before. And he, they were, they proceed to be like, well, you look black, but not black, but like oh, your no. skin's dark. But definitely a kind of Asian. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I guess I'm Filipino. <laughs> is that what you want? And so I thought that was really interesting because it, I've, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but in Hawaii was like the only place I've lived where people did not ask me what I was. Like they just accepted me as ethnically ambiguous and assumed I was like Hapa or something. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that's a question that you really get asked in Hawaii to the same extent you get asked here. Mm, that is so good. Mm. I uh, Following all the characters, I, I love the women characters in here when we talk about like literature or art or something creative. I really respect how the author portrayed the women characters mm. in the book. I thought like Kaui's yeah. character I found really gripping and like you said, very real, like even I don't necessarily know the follow through of someone who had that cottage experience, like where Dean was very uh, athletically inclined and gifted. Cowie's character was very intelligent, like ridiculously and hardworking. It wasn't just like, oh, easy, like yeah. very driven, organized. I, I guess driven. Now I've said it twice. Yeah. But it's, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. And in a male dominated field, like yeah. she's a, she goes to school to be an engineer. And wow, we're not engineers. Um, my my <laughs> sister is an engineer. And to hear the way that Cowie talks about it is very similar to the way my sister talks about it, being in those male dominated spaces and then being a woman of color and like having to draw your strong boundaries and claim your place. And so I think by by necessity, she had to be a strong person. But it was we saw it from the time she was a child wanting to, you know, like stand up and fight. And she's always not only is she incredibly intelligent, incredibly driven, but she's a very strong and and rooted and sure of taking what she wants. And so then as as the story progresses and she struggles a little more with that, we really feel for her because we we see, you know, the cracks in the veneer. Mm -hmm. And that is so incredibly relatable. So when you doubt yourself, even the ground that you are standing on, and you're right, that does add to to the pain and you, you feel for that. But I think it's so interesting. It's this particular character that's very, very sure and grabs what they want, has this engineering mind, is the one who goes back to the island and and teals the land and reclaims it and has these connections, both very physical and spiritual, back with the land. And I thought it was one of those things of, I'm so glad I didn't see that coming. I love that I didn't see that coming for the story, for her character, for those who are reading. It was just, uh, it was just so beautifully done. Yeah. 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 So relatable overall. A lot of the story did not go in a place where I thought it was going <laughs> at all. So definitely caught me off guard, which I find 
very enjoyable in books because usually I feel like I can see I can see the path ahead of me in this really like zigged me in a totally different direction. Mm, I don't like that nearly as much. <laughs> no, I, it, I, no, I love hate it. I love that. I'm like in my mind, I thought it was going one way, and it did not do that. Yeah, and but you, you do. I mean, of course, I love that. I, I, I but part of me is like, no, I need the comforting of know that I was right. But I was, right. I was completely and utterly beautifully wrong, and I, I, that is challenging, even up to the end. Like to me, I'm like, I love hate at the end. I, yeah. Yeah, it's what it's it's it has it kind of has like an abrupt end, and once again, so beautifully written. I can't imagine there being any kind of other ending. And I'm like, but you always want more. You always want more. But life does not tie you up with little tiny bows. It does not give you a clean mm-hmm. finish. It does not do that. And once again, capturing those that realism that we're talking about, this book has a lot of uh, that. It's it's rooted in. And oh man. I can't imagine, like, thinking this came out of a human being. It was That's just how beautiful it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think to your point about the end, I also, I did not like the ending. <laughs> but I do think that while it was not, like, a neat, wrapped-up ending, there was a sense of both closure, like, the story ran its course and it's done, but also this idea that you know, things are continuing. The characters mm-hmm. live on, but not in a way where it's like, I need to read the sequel, which I hate. I hate when books stay open-ended like that for a sequel. So I love that it was very self-contained, even though I did not like where it went. But yeah, I would highly, I would definitely recommend this book, especially if yes. you're just looking for a nice piece of literary fiction to sit with. Like, this is a good one. And I think... For those of us who are mixed race, it's a really powerful story and there's a lot to relate to with it. And I think it is very much about the search for culture and identity, even when you grow up within it. So I think to that that sense, for those of us, like, you know, I, you and I have talked about this a lot, but I have, you know, one part of my identity that I like grew up in the culture, feel very connected to it, feel good about that. And I have another part of my identity I did not grow up in with the same immersion. And so like, I have that search for identity. And I feel like this book satisfies both parts of me. Mm-hmm. And so I think... I think unicorns out there would really like it too. And just good for people to learn more about Hawaii, um, the occupied lands that we call the state of Hawaii, mm-hmm. and a little bit about about the culture there. It's 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 more than hula dancing, how you think it is, and exactly lays and luau's, um, how you think they are. It's it's so much more. It is. And these, this book should be really used as a springboard. Like I would recommend it and all, with hopes that once again, you use this fiction as a springboard into learning a little bit more about how it became a state. Like I said, what is the sanctity that is the hula about the ukulele? Like what, what is a little bit more behind that to really kind of start really feeding that hunger, spark that interest. And that's what's so beautiful about what fiction can do on our journey. So for those unicorns, this book sees you, right? Like you see the characters and they see you. And I think like Danny said, it's very fulfilling in in that manner and helps, I think, connect BIPOC together of like, wow, what can we do to support and encourage and to amplify another indigenous people group that have that have had 
persecution because you hear the 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 effects of colonization in once again not beating over the head but how that has really put the trajectory of the family in a different course to where they had a hard time on the island. You're like, wow, what, what is the actual history behind that? And really like, oh, like go into it. Don't be afraid once the book is done to dive a little bit deeper, especially for those who want to be co-conspirators as well. When we talk about the work, this is once again, an example of the work. Take this beautiful piece of fiction and read about the author, read about where they're from, why, why and what was so culturally significant and let that be a good starting place for it. Yeah. And so this book was published last year in, in 2020. But I there are a lot of a lot of things that, that we can all do to support the Hawaiian people. And I mean, ideally sovereignty, but even even not counting that, like the Mauna Kea protests are still going on. Yeah. So that's some, something that you can look into to educate yourself. There was recently a big Big story that did not get national news in a surprising, though not too surprising fashion, about the water oh. and jet fuel <laughs> leaching into the water and the Navy not like doing anything about it or saying anything, which is another parallel with New Mexico, with Albuquerque, mm -hmm. where we've also had jet fuel in our water thanks to the military. So, you know, when you're on an island, you need that water. You can't yep. just drink salt water. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things, a lot of ways that you can reach out and support and petitions to sign and money to donate and ways to even amplify these stories into getting a broader reach mm -hmm. out into the world. Because if we leave it to the media, the only thing the media says about Hawaii is how it's a great place to visit. <laughs> like, mm, well, they need your tourism, don't they? Like, that's that's what you hear. But not you know. to the extent that they've had it. They've. <laughs> Been all sorts of record-breaking tourism in Hawaii over this last year during the pandemic, and people Don't. just spreading the pandemic, and just it's it's pretty Girl. terrible. Girl, and that's what I'm talking about. Like reading this book over this year and hearing about what's been going on with the tainted water, how they move the military families, but they won't stop, and they, you know, they 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 continue. And like you said, the protest and and fighting for sacred land and and what they've been doing and our long torrid relationship with them. It's oh, girl, and then yeah, but. This is what you hear. Oh, they're, they're they're suffering because the tourism, but because they've made their infrastructure so reliant on it, right? Be taking right. by all the good, the best parts of land, of putting in the infrastructure, building upon it, and making it there. So yes, there is some truth to it, but making it seem like no, you're doing it a favor. You need to go there, even though we're talking about like the girl. Don't yeah. even like the amount of condos and apartments that are owned by people who don't actually live there and just like Airbnb them out or just like some like vacation there, winter vacation there is really? like disgusting. Ugh. And it's so, so expensive. Like there's a Ugh. joke within the book of like, you know, the cost of living in paradise and the amount of times mm. I heard that when I lived there. I straight up, we lived in a studio apartment and our rent was more than twice our mortgage on a house in Albuquerque. So yeah, it's 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 out of hand and it's, you know, who are who are the people who are really suffering from this? It's the the people native to there, the locals who can't hardly afford to live there. And and they do touch on this and that is a theme of why the kids even going to the mainland. It's seeing how that all interconnects. Once again, that should be the springboard. It doesn't this is not, that's not the fiction part of the book. <laughs> 
that part is real and, and, and read into that. And it, even if it is like what Danny's saying, just further pushing those stories. So that way that is what gets the, the attention. So there can be further aid, understanding and education. Yeah. What did you learn from this book, Tamika? Do you have any like good takeaways that you learned or things that you want to look into more after reading this book? Uh, you know, I I actually, like I said, not only was it the language in itself that I was so intrigued and called into, I had, I felt like I had a basic understanding, obviously, just from the work that we do and the work that I have done and the relationship that I have had, but just diving in a little bit more deeper in, into the, the history in our relationship, uh, American-wise, of what we, where we have failed at, of learning about and calling out for even um, Christianity to have reparations to the island. And what does that look like to hold those churches accountable for, for settling in and missionaries and things of that nature? First, it's one of those things of like really understanding the root issue and, mm-hmm. and calling for those things to be rectified. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> not necessarily light and fluffy, but you touched on it a little bit of like, how can I improve my communication with my family as well? And how mm. can I, one of the more beautiful parts is just the 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 mother and the daughter. They're, like I said, they're dynamic a little bit. You know, I'm a mother, I have a daughter and, you know, and just talking about how can I make sure I try to see my child as much as possible. Not them as my child, but see them for who they are as she continues to grow. And I think it's kind of always keeping that framework of who they are and how they want to be seen and how I'm communicating that and also being open to hear about her and her life like it's just it's it's always good to have those reminders of making sure I don't always kind of view her as just my child but as this person who's evolving and growing and who needs to be seen and how she wants to be seen is going to evolve and change as she gets older so it was a not a cautionary tale it was just very much like keep you on your toes so yeah it's really good what about you yeah i i would echo the the importance of family and connection and communication there. I think along those lines, it for me, like reminded me a lot of like things we've talked about before, this idea of intergenerational trauma and how things reawaken, particularly if you're not dealing with them and you just kind of let it ride. Uh, so that's always a good, <laughs> good reminder to be very aware of that. For me also... It felt a lot about home and where is home and how do we reach home and how do we connect with home? And I think for me, Albuquerque is clearly home and I I struggle a lot back and forth with this idea of like, I don't want to be here sometimes. Like I, I like being other places and I, I love my experiences living other places, but there's like the allure of home and like, why am I here? And in what ways can I be of service to here and to my home? So that book really reminded me a lot of that. And of course, always the dangers of capitalism and how I just want to burn the whole system to the ground because it's garbage. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't come back to that, did we even read a book <laughs> from our library? <laughs> it was, would it even be in the library if it didn't end in fire? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> It's true. Oh my good. I have so sorry. This is probably the worst tangent. We were talking about the elf on the shelf with my daughter like a, a while ago, right? And we're talking yeah. about what the whole purpose is. I told I told my daughter we talked about on the show and she's like, "Let me guess. You hate capitalism." And I <laughs> nearly fell off 
the whole couch. I'm just letting you know. She's seven years old. She's seven. <laughs> she just literally interrupted me. She's like, let me guess. You hate capitalism. <laughs> you guys, I don't I know love if I'm, her. I, I don't know if I'm so winning much. or losing at parenting. Just it, it, it was a thing that happened. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it really does, though, like deal a lot with capitalism and like what capitalism and colonialism have done to Hawaii, but also what it's done to individuals. And like, yes, what what would the world be like if we weren't all just hustling to to get fed and to have a roof over our heads? Like what what beauty and minimums? Yeah. (laughs) What beauty and magic could we allow for people to really express and to cultivate within themselves if if we weren't so concerned with survival. And that's really like a big fear I have of this world. Like, and we've talked about it a lot. It's like we are missing out on so much from so many people because everyone is so caught up in just trying to survive. Yeah. That I'm not gonna lie when we talk about deep dark sphere and that's being completely vulnerable i very much have this conversation with my husband when we're at the end of the day and we're so tired and we're just looking at the calendar and budget and life we're like is this what life is like you know we're in our mid-30s and honestly we're not gonna be able to retire till 70 let's be very very honest and real I'm like is this what it is like always, no matter how hard we work. And it's a real question. It's a big question. It's a scary question. Mm. And if you allow yourself to dare to dream of what it would be like, like you're saying, even in this, to drawing it back to the book, I asked myself this question in, in the beginning, what if the sugar cane stayed? Yeah. What if the sugar cane was allowed to be for, for Hawaii? for Hawaiians like that how would the story be different and I challenge for those who actually do get to read the book when you're done ask yourself that particular question and see how the trajectory of that story would change just just go there in your mind so yeah it's it's a big question yeah yeah it's sugarcane is like a huge (laughs) huge topic uh, when it comes to Hawaii right and I think so much caught up in that. And you're absolutely right to say it's about capitalism and it's about colonization. And it's also directly related to to Hawaii becoming a state and the cost, the cost of having Americans who are required to be paid far too little, but required to be paid a certain amount, right, that has caused this industry to shrink to literally like one mill in Hawaii, one sugar mill. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I love I love your question of what would it be like if the sugar cane stayed? Like, I think that that's, that's a great place to start. And I think when we talk about local resiliency and the future and surviving the water wars and climate change, it really does come back to that. Like, how can we be self-sufficient in a way that is not serving the empire as it were but like serving the people god dreams i just i just want a different world so badly (laughs) girl i don't we didn't even have like even just bringing up like what like being in albuquerque but not wanting to be there but being there like talk about like that was so real in the book and feeling that tug like literally had this conversation the other day of just like so where where the hell is even home 
Right. For for me, for a mixed person in this world, so uh, we should just do a whole episode about home. Like the we should, we should just the whole the concept of this four le- home the other four letter word. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. I would love to put out the call to anyone listening mm. to write us or yes. send us a voicemail. Let us know w- how you define home. Where is Ooh. home? Have yeah. you found home? What, yeah, oh, oh, yep, done. Yep, can't can't elaborate on that anymore. I love it. Yes. <laughs> should should we should we happy place on that topic? Yeah, let's shift into our happy place. Mika, what's making you happy this week? So it's a two for one. You guys get a confessional and a happy place. Yes. So I have literally been sinking since I was five. It's it's a thing. Not good at it because I don't get paid for it, but it's a thing I do. Mm, Um, Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. I'm gonna stop you right there. Oh my god. I've known this this girl to sing like our entire lives together, and she is amazing. She has a beautiful (laughs) voice. So I don't know what she's talking about. Continue. My bank account's like, that's nice. <laughs> capitalism. Fuck that capitalist mentality. Girl, and when you're you know what? And when she's right, y'all, she's right. Let me guess. Capitalism. <laughs> I, let me guess. Uh so anyway, so I have never karaokeed. Really? I have never, I have never karaokeed. I have never, ever karaokeed. I have, if I'm not in a character, I have horrific stage fright. I can't, I, I'm absolutely, absolutely terrified. Like it's, it's, I'm just awful at auditions because it is paralyzing and that really sucks if you're a theater person. It does, it does happen. People who have stage fright or don't like public speaking are in the arts. It's not a great place, but it's my reality. With that, my mom, I love my mother. She as an early Christmas gift, I don't know to whom, I think the family, got us a karaoke machine. <laughs> I will take a picture. I will send it. And I was like, first of all, I don't even know where I'm going to put it. It's like, it's a pretty decent sized speaker with rolly wheels on it. And my thought, I was like, what is, what is mother? Why? <laughs> I was just like, I Girl, she got this you. present for herself because she's that, coming to visit. <laughs> I think that's what it, it was like something that we could do. And I know she's like, you're going to get on the mic, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, I saw it. I was what, just like, what do you think her first song's going to be? I'm, I'm hoping something by, uh, what's his name? Neil Diamond. I hope she's just going to take just something real authentically or the Commodores, just like some mm. classic, classic mom yes. music. I love it. Or something from the soundtrack from the original Camelot. Like just <laughs> <laughs> something very authentically Amazing. my mother. Uh, but supposed to, uh, you're right. Like just for to do something when we're all together, when come to visit. But my daughter was so excited to test it out that she, she, now remember, also seven, right? She was like, Frozen, you can do this, or Disney, or whatever. She wanted to sing an Adele song. <laughs> nice. Nice. So hearing my 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 daughter sing, hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
you're feeling some kind of so seeing like do experimenting with karaoke is like my, my happy place uh, I look forward to getting over my fear I don't know if I'll ever do it out in the real world but it's just fun to do with with your family and have a really really good time and for someone who is inherently bad at lyrics it is also a learning opportunity so Oh, you're one of those, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm a, no, no. Music first. Ask ask anyone who's had to like properly study music. The lyrics don't matter. <laughs> Every choir teacher I've ever had, they don't know the lyrics. They know the music, but they don't know the lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now that we know way too much about me, what about but, no, you? But we're we're not going away yet. No. Um, so so what's your song, Damika? Oh, if it was so. Let if I, I just did put on the mic. Ooh, it might have to be. Oh, it. You know what? I might have to do some um some Lauren Hill strumming my pain. Oh, that's a good one. Song. Yeah, yeah, that one. I think that one would be just. It would be fun because it's like there's some talky, there's some singing. It's not. It's not so hard to sing, and it's just fun. It's a feel good one, and I think it's very like gives me all the '90s vibes that I need. Yeah. Do you karaoke? Um, I'm into like a karaoke box. I'm into like the Asian style karaoke rooms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not into like a bar karaoke situation. <laughs> um, I'm like, this is the way karaoke that the Japanese intended it in a <laughs> private room. <laughs> Let's do it this it, way, please. In its purest form. In its purest <laughs> form. Yeah. Do you have so? Ha- so did you? Oh, I've done it lots of times. Lots and lots of times. Yeah. Oh, so what's your go-to song? I mean, you got to be super basic. Got to go with some Oasis, Wonderwall. <laughs> it's like the most basic karaoke song. <laughs> I also loved when I was in Japan, busting out some like Japanese songs. So I would like yeah. to do like um, Sobakasu by Judy and Mary. No one knows what I'm talking about right now. Um <laughs> But think like the Japanese, no doubt, um, essentially. And people would always be like, Danny, your Japanese is so good. And I'm like, it's a song. (laughs) Perfection. I have a new desire in my life. I don't know how we're going to make this happen, but we need to make this happen where we're together and this happens. So that's all I really want for the new year. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm into I'm into it. I'm a terrible singer. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I I've only heard your faintest singings. <laughs> just and the thing is, like, if if this is indeed true, then you know what? You can't be good at everything because it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. doubt I I doubt that's true. But if it is, then you're that's good. You're human. It makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just particularly painful in a family full of singers. But it's Do you okay. Does your family sing? Everyone sings. Yeah. Everyone sings. Everyone's in like church choir or like sings opera <laughs> or like sings in a mariachi band or like <laughs> Oh, I can't tell you how like I just miss mariachi. I anyway. What's making you happy? 
I'm going to go with, I know we just talked about a whole book, but I'm going to go with another book. Um, (laughs) So I have this book and I brought it so that I would remember the author's name. It's this book called Around the World in 80 Trees. And it's by Jonathan Drury. And it is this lovely, beautiful book. It is literally a book about 80 different trees (laughs) from around the world. Um, So it has different short like essays about 80 different trees. And then it has these like really beautiful (gasps) illustrations that go with each. Yeah. So I've been just pacing it out. Uh, Hopefully I think I'll, I'll be on track to finish right before the, the new year, just reading a couple of trees a day. So yeah, (laughs) it's a great book. And I found out he has another book that's around the world in 80 plants. So I think (gasps) I'm going to pick that one up next and check it out oh gosh i hope it does mushrooms i would love that book yeah it's 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 really a lot of fun it talks about the history the super nerdy it talks about the history and like different like cool things about all these all these trees and different uses and different places where they've become popular and i feel a special kindredness with things about trees and i don't know if you know this damika like everyone knows that albuquerque is named for the Duke of Albuquerque from Spain, Albuquerque. But I don't think a lot of people realize that Albuquerque is actually from a a white oak tree. So it's Albuquerque, I think. Um, And so it's, it's just like also pulled from the latin or pulled from the arabic in that region in spain Ooh. the the white oak is very important because <laughs> this is so so nerdy going way no, too deep it. i love um, it no no don't cut it this, out and this isn't in the book this is just tree knowledge i already had uh the <laughs> the white oak in western spain is very important because it produces this very particular acorn and then the pigs eat the acorn and then these pigs are the very famous pork from that region (gasps) and so that's where albuquerque comes from because it's named for those those trees so i love trees trees are great more trees more trees into it absolutely into it what's your favorite tree Mm, weeping willow I love that. I would, I would, I really want to get a weeping willow tattoo. Oh my God. Don't, don't. We used to have a weeping willow in our front yard and it died. It broke my heart. Oh no. Yeah. Albuquerque is not a good place for weeping willow trees. They're not. They're not. England, I was really very spoiled by the amount of weeping willows that we had. So very, very spoiled. But I think those are solidly good, happy places. I think uh, if anyone wants to start a petition for Danny to get a job writing questions for Jeopardy, if you want to start that, that'd be great. It's all in there, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm packing it full of a whole bunch of tree information. So look out, Jeopardy! <laughs> Category is trees. If it's got wood, it's Danny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just the happy place I needed. It's perfect. I didn't even know I needed it, but it's absolutely wonderful. Yes. Um, well, we better wrap it up. All right. So you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at by Rachel unicorns we're on twitter at biracial magic you can also send us an email the old-fashioned way biracial unicorns at gmail.com if you need to 
revisit any of this information. It's all in our show notes, as is our voicemail number, which I never remember to say because I could never remember it off the top of my head. But please take a look at our show notes. We would love to get voicemails. If we get a voicemail mm-hmm. from you, maybe we'll play it on the show. Ooh. And just a reminder, we'd love to hear your thoughts on home. And if you've gotten home, what is home? How do we get home? Mm, Yes, I love this. Well, here we cannot conjure all this magic on our own. So we want to give a huge shout out to Dolly Pop Art, who's on our very iconic biracial unicorns photo. Please go to Instagram at Dolly Pop Art and check out her stuff. Huge also uh, shout out to Joseph Scott for making our wonderful intro and outro music. Please also follow him on Instagram. Also, I should put his TikTok on here because he comes out with some bops that I'm into. Way more talented, skilled and brave, honestly, than me. (laughs) I also you guys wanted- need to do a duet. Oh uh, yeah, and embarrass myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Legitimately, one of the best singers that I have ever known. And it's once again, also, I keep surrounding myself with very annoying Virgo and Virgo adjacent people <laughs> who are very talented and gross. Another also talented gross person is <laughs> Jesse Smith of So Smith Photography, who's done some of our in-person photos together. Absolutely lovely. Uh, her calendar came out. I believe she still might have a few. If not, I know she also sells some of her individual photos of uh, just individual prints and let me tell you she captures that midwest goodness it is chef kiss absolutely beautiful and while you're there on the interwebs why don't you go ahead and write us a review you have no clue how much that helps us we actually just had a conversation and we'll probably read this later of people writing in and telling us the the impact or how the show has helped which sounds like we're inflating our ego but we can't tell you how much that is needed for us to continue this work that we do it does take time time, effort, energy, and it makes us feel like continuing on when we hear that kind of feedback. And it helps also gets this information into the ears of other unicorns who need to feel that support, who are looking out for community. And we want to get this to them as much as possible. So please push us through, give us a great rating, write us a review. And if you also want to help uh, financially support us to literally store our stuff where it needs to be stored and keeping the lights on, as it were, we would very much appreciate it. You can buy us a cup of coffee. And once again, all the information is linked in our show notes. So yeah, would appreciate it. Yes. All right. As we head out here, uh, this is our last episode of 2021. Yeah. Uh, Damika. What what are some some things you're looking forward to? Very quickly, we don't have to make it a whole thing, <laughs> but just name one thing you're looking forward to in 2022. More cooking, more cooking. I want to try some new some new recipes. The more like so, this the book we just read has actually inspired me to look up some some traditional Hawaiian recipes and try them out. And I think you can learn a lot about a culture by the food they eat. So yes, mm. of course it would be food related. So yeah, more food. <laughs> what about you? I asked the question and had nothing prepared. I, I could not believe you even brought that up. I was like, well, we're not prepared. <laughs> um, I am looking forward to connecting with some people in person, um, which I haven't uh, done a lot of, but I hopefully fucking COVID willing be able to do more of in 2022. Wow. Uh, look at you. Look at us growing as people. That growth. I mean, I didn't say like a lot. I just said no, no. some. No, some is still a lot for you. Some, some is more than what we're used to from Danny. It's true. It's true. 
All right, y'all. We will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Peace. Out.